pray for God's blessing for this spiritual meal. Heavenly Father, thank you for receiving our souls and receiving our worship. And we pray now you open the treasury of heaven and sprinkle us with knowledge and understanding. Today we are doing a topical study on the attributes of God. And we pray you let's learn not only the concepts, but also the balance. Not only what is already taught, but also desire to know more about you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's topic is what do we believe about God? Part two, the attributes of God and the balance therein. Um, last week, we have studied on what do we believe about God. It's kind of an introduction on the existence of God uh, and then what kind of God it is in, in its uh, triune nature, etc. So till now, let me summar summarize and develop a little bit on what do we believe about God already. Okay, first of all, God is eternal. The word Jehovah simply means the eternal one, okay? because it means the one who is, the I am. Okay? So God is eternal. And this quoted uh, sentence is in our statement of faith, saying God is the only eternal being, the creator of heaven and earth. Okay? But we need to give some, some uh, explanation. Okay? Uh, Cor corollaries of the uh, uh, theorem, I guess, in, in mathematical terms. First of all, God is the creator of the universe with its space, time, energy, matter, order, and temporary apparent chaos. Okay, why do I say that? Because um, you know, in the first sentence of the Bible, it includes all of these basic concepts of physics. In the beginning, it's about time. God, well, God is the highest power, so you can say that he's kind of like energy, but he's not higher than, but like energy, created, which means making order. Okay, And the heavens, which is space, and the earth, which is composed of matter. Okay, so Space, time, energy, matter, and order are the five basic phys physics, but concepts of physics are all mentioned in the first sentence of Genesis 1.1. Coincidence? Maybe not. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> okay. Physics, if it's based on reality, it must be based on God. For God is the ultimate reality. Okay. However, some people have problem accepting that the second verse of Genesis 1. It says, for the earth was what? Formless and void. In other words, lacking order and lacking residence. It's empty. Okay? And it, it's chaotic. Okay? It lacks order. So, what God did, this is the Bible, what the Bible recorded. Yes, the earth was created initially as formless and void, lacking order and residence. But God corrected both through two panels of three days. In the first panel of three days, God separated many realms, thus creating order. In the second panel of three days, God filled almost all of these realms with residents, living residents. Therefore, they are no longer void. Okay, And thus, at the end of the sixth day, God said, very good. And he entered a time of rest, the seventh day. Okay, The first day, what did God create? In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth, right? And in addition... God also created light. By that, he separated light from darkness. Okay, that's one separation. In the second day, he separated the upper water from the lower water with the atmosphere in between, and that's actually called the first heaven. In the beginning, he created the heavens. That's the third heaven and the second heaven. What we call heaven, the supernatural heaven, which is where 
angels would dwell and God's glory would dwell. And then the second heaven is space where stars dwell. The first heaven is where birds dwell. Okay? The upper heaven was a temporary existence. Later it became the flood. And the lower water, upper heaven, the upper water became, <laughs> it's called water canopy. It, it was above the atmosphere around the earth and then later it fell down. Became the great flood. Well, combined with water from below, okay, so it became the great flood. And then the lower water became the sea. And the third day, God separated the dry land from the sea. So by this separation, 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 he created the realms and order. And in the second panel of three days, he filled almost all of these realms. For the third heaven, he created angels. For the second heaven, he created stars. For the first heaven, he created birds. For the sea, he created the fish. For the dry land, he created animals. And for the Garden of Eden on the dry land, he created human beings. Everything was filled with living things except the upper water. Because that's temporary. And that is reserved for judgment. And God actually didn't feel good about it. That's why he... He didn't say good on the second day. Have you ever thought about it? He said good on almost all of these six days, except the second day. On the third and the six days, he actually said good twice. Because on the third day, he created the land and the vegetables. So he said good twice. On the fourth day, he created animals and humans. That's why he said good and very good. Okay? But the second day is the only day that he didn't say good. And that's the day when he created the upper water, which wasn't filled. The only realm that wasn't filled with living beings. I don't think these are coincidences. I think it tell us, tells us that God, who is perfect, supposedly everything coming from God should be perfect. But I should take exception for that. Okay? God's creation is perfect, but only at its ultimate time. There may be process through which there will be imperfection and chaos. That does not reduce God's perfection. It simply tells us that there is a necessary process in time for the created beings to become perfect, which reflects God's perfection. Do we see that? This is some explanation. Okay. Um, God, being eternal, he is um, he's, uh, perfect and his creation is perfect at the end. But the process to a perfect order may go through chaos. And God is above time, though he can appear in time. God was, is, and will ever be. He is the great I am. God did not create himself because he's eternal. Neither did he create evil. Okay? So what is evil? Evil is causing suffering by sin. And what is sin? Sin is the violation of God's standard. Okay? What is God's standard? It is the, uh, the attributes, the moral attributes of his character. And uh, why did God create, I mean, allow evil and sin? Well, because God created for the sake of love. Without free will, there is no love. So God, because he created to extend the existing loving relationship in the Trinity to the creation, he has to create beings with free wills. With the free will, he has to allow the rejection of his love, therefore the rejection of will and the rejection of his standard, therefore sin. And with sin comes suffering. With the suffering, there is evil. So all of this sequence are byproducts of the creation for the sake of love. Okay. So throughout a long processing time, some in the creation, that's called the elect, will receive a full loving relationship by joining the bride of Christ, the church. And then they will uh, be saved, and they will be sanctified, and they will be glorified. And at the end, they are living in the perfect loving relationship. And, but there are others who will not, and they are sadly lost. Okay? However, 
without allowing the lostness, there is no possibility of savedness, if I want to use that word. Okay? Because without sin and evil, all sinners will walk in their natural way, which is marching to hell. The only way any sinner will turn around from evil and seek for good is when little evil meets big evil. All of us are sinners and we are all little evil. Sometimes when you meet big evil, you suffer. And it's through the suffering, some, only the elect, will turn around and seek for the good and ultimately get saved. But some will actually join the evil and enjoy the temporary pleasure and end up lost. Okay. So the existence of evil is the means for salvation. And because God created for the sake of expanding the love in the Trinity to creation, thus he must create free will, he must allow sin, he must allow evil, he must allow suffering. But through the suffering, some and all the elect will be saved. And that is the fulfillment of God's perfect will from the beginning. That's the only way you can reconcile the whole teaching of all the Bible. Okay, so um, God did not create Himself, and He didn't create evil. Evil is a result of misuse of free will, which God created for the sake of potential love relationship. Okay, and another thing we have already established is that God is a spirit. Uh, this quotation exists in our statement of faith. He is a spirit by nature, though he could appear for man in visible forms. That means, first of all, God is non-material and supernatural. He's not a thing, okay? And he, can, he is not visible in nature. He's not material. And he's supernatural. He's not some natural being that uh, can be studied and, and proven even, okay? No Argument for the existence of God can be, in a scientific sense, proving the existence of God. All it proves is the rationality of believing in the existence of triune God. And the irrationality of not believing so. Okay? It is more an issue about man than about God. Okay. And uh, God is above all creation. He cannot and should not be represented by any idols. That's image of the creation, creatures. God is transcendent, which means that he is above and higher than all creation. He is distant, unreachable, and unknowable by human means. If God does not reveal himself, you cannot know him because it's infinitely higher. And you are finite. Okay. However, he does reveal himself. That makes him knowable. Okay. God is like a higher dimensional being. He can project, project and apply in lower dimensions to appear to created beings. Like humans can talk to ants. If you make an ant and then use its antenna and talk in ant language. Okay. We can talk to ants. If it speak at, using a robotic at, okay? So God can talk to humans, okay? Because he can incarnate and become a man, right? So those are high dimensional beings projecting to lower dimensions. So I'm not saying he is, I'm saying he is like, because God is more than what we can, anything we can compare with him. God reveals himself to humans because he created with a purpose for a relationship in love. For this reason, God is knowable to man. But true knowledge of God belongs only to the elect who have a personal relationship with God. There are people who know about God, but only those who have personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ truly know God. Okay? To know and to know about are two different levels. Okay. 
And uh, the third thing we have established is that God is triune. He's both three and one. There's only one God, but God is in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each person possesses equally all of the attributes of deity. So explanation. God is like a family of three persons, each having his own mind, heart, and will. Therefore, God is not a Unitarian, that means one person being. So all the religions that believe God is a one person being, they only know about God, they don't know God. Okay, Because if you don't believe God is Trinitarian, you will not know Jesus as God. And if you don't know Jesus, you don't know the Father. Right? So that's why um, Unitarian religions do not know God. Only the Trinitarian one make it possible. Okay, makes it possible. The three persons have the same divine attributes, indistinguishable in greatness and perfection. They never separate. Thus, there is only one God, not three gods. The three persons in the Godhead form a perfect union. The will of the Father, the mind of the Son, and the heart of the Holy Spirit are the apparent personality of God to man. So here is the chart explaining it. There are three persons. A personhood means having these faculties called mind, heart, and will. Mind is for reasoning, heart is for feeling, and will is for deciding. Okay. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit each having his own mind, heart, will, personhood. Therefore, three persons, not one person. However, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but the Father is not the Son, the Son is not a spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. That's the traditional Trinitarian formula. And, uh, however, as a union, perfect union, is the will of God the Father that is known by man. Who elects the bride? The father of the groom. Okay, And uh, it's the mind of the son that is the reason, the logos to mankind. What is the universe created for? For Christ. Why? To create a bride for him. Okay, He is the reason for creation. All things are created by him and for him. That's why he is the logos, the reason behind everything. And the heart of the Holy Spirit is, is the apparent heart of God to man. He has emotions. So when you deal with God, especially dealing with the Holy Spirit who is present with you, be gentle. Remember, he is sensitive. He can be grieved if you sin. And he can be quenched if you are stubborn. Okay? So, listen to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit and then obey. And once you have, feel, you have followed the will of God, you will feel the presence of the goodness of God. And that's how you know God, step by step, in life, in a believer's life. And the traditional... Uh, mentioning of the Trinity in the Bible uh, was Father, Spirit, Son in the Old Testament and the Father, Son, Spirit in the New Testament. The transition happened between and after the resurrection and the seating of the Son on the right hand of the Father. Because from then on, the Son have changed from the heir to the fellow sovereign, the co-regent. Okay, so in a sense, the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit's role was like the mother in the household before the son, and then it, later after the son had become the 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 co-regent, he will stay behind the scenes. Okay, so th remember these are comparisons, but no comparisons are exactly what God is. It's just for understanding. Understand? Okay. And nothing in the world. Uh, God is not anything like things that we can compare God to. But without any comparison, we have no understanding. That's why we do make comparisons, but we make a qualitative standard that God is above all of this. Okay? And uh, the... Uh, 
The theology of the household of God is that God, the family, made a household that uh, because God wants to expand the love in the Trinity to the creation. Thus, he created beings with free will in men and angels. And universe, our things are impersonal. Human beings are children in the beginning. All of us have God image. But some children would follow the, fall, <laughs> the fallen angels and and get lost, but some, the elect, will rise up and become heirs once they unite with the eternal Son through the adoption of the Father, the regeneration of the born again by the Holy Spirit, and the marriage um, collectively as a church with Christ, the Son. And through that, we have been given a sonship in the household of God. The children are lower than the servants, the sons are higher than the servants. That's why some of the servants became jealous, and that's why they fell. And they that's where Satan and demons came from. Only one-third angels fell, two-thirds remain holy. The holy angels will learn contentness in the household of God from the contentness of Christian women who are content with their equality in position, but different in roles with their men. Okay, So women, Christian women, you can choose to become teachers of men or teachers of angels. Your choice. And uh, with all of those established, now I think we have to give more uh, explanations, some fine points on the other attributes of God. These do not appear in our statement of faith, okay, because they're so fine. Okay, however, I believe they are important, and this is what we believe about God: a balanced view of the attributes, roles, and the means of God. Okay, so you have. This chart, I hope you study it. Uh, by the way, this chart is a working process. The attributes of God are descriptions of God. God is infinite. We are finite. God reveals to us through the Bible. And the Bible is a book that you can never claim to have completely understood. You understand. You understand more. And you have more to understand. <laughs> That's why the attributes of God is a working process for all humanity. We are still improving on our knowledge of God. Okay, These attributes, roles, and means that I listed have been discovered by great scholars, theologians, Bible expositioners um, in the past. And I have made some tweaking of my own. Okay, But I don't believe... I have arrived. This is simply the best I can present you. Okay, And I hope you can make your own contributions in further understanding, as long as it's based on the Bible with balance. Okay, I'll be happy to hear any suggested improvements. Okay? So first thing I want to uh, talk about is the grouping of the attributes of God. The traditional prayer of children before the meal is actually deep in revealing the three groups of the attributes of God. God is great, God is good, and thank you, God, for this food. I heard that in Little House on the Prairie. You know. <laughs> and uh, I thought that was so simple. I taught my children to say that. if Without me blessing the food, they can say that and they can start to eat. Okay. And However, I believe in the simplest is the deepest. Okay. These three actually gives us the best simple expression for the three groups of the attributes of God. Okay. Why three? Well, God is Trinity. right? And uh, we human beings are created in three layers, the spirit and soul and the body. Okay. And uh, there is a theorem in mathematics. You know, I, I, I got a degree in physics before I went into theology. Okay. So uh, for a couple of years, I tried to make a dissertation studying chaos. And then I took a lot of mathematical courses. And one of them is about mathematics of chaos. 
And there's a theorem called Sarkovsky's theorem, saying that a system of complexity needs at least three components to uh, for a complete description. In other words, if you want to describe a complex system, you need at least three components to describe it. Two is not enough. One is not enough. Okay, and three is possible. So that's why I think since God, who may be said to be simple in a sense that he cannot be separated, but in a sense he is the most complex being because we can't understand him totally, right? Since God is complex to us, you want to describe God or any attributes of God, the best way of trying to be complete in an area is to find three components that makes it possible for the description to be complete. You see my point? Okay, that's why I think the three groups, uh, grouping by three, is better than by duality. Okay, so God is great, talks about God's transcendence, he is above. God's perfect, talking about his perfection, he is the standard. Thank you God for this food, is talking about the relevance, that God is ours. Okay, now there are only four places in the Bible that explicitly says that God is something. Okay, and they can correspond to the three groups. God is, is spirit, in John 4.24, talks about his transcendence, he's not material. God is light, talks about he's all light and no darkness, that means he's holy. God is a consuming fire, means he is just, he punishes the violators of his standard. Okay, so talking about his justice, and holiness and justice are all part of the moral attributes, uh, and or his perfection. God is love is about his love, his goodness, and that's about relationship. Okay, so that's the third part, you see. Um, the, uh, the transcendence of God uh, is what I give to the first group. It covers the existential attributes and the power attributes. Existential means the way God is. Power attributes is what God has. Okay. And the perfection of God corresponds to the moral attributes of God. And the relevance of God could also be called the relational attributes, roles, and means of God. Okay? Attributes uh, means something like being personal, holy, just, good. Those are descriptions, attributes. And the roles is something that God plays, like he's the Lord, friend, servant, creator, sustainer, ruler, etc., Means is the ways that God reveals himself, like he reveals to us through the scripture, history, and nature. Okay, um, okay. so these, uh, the roles and the means also reveal something about God, even though we don't have the words as attributes uh, designed yet. <laughs> but the roles do reveal something about God, so that's why I put them here. Okay. And uh, um, some attributes of God are non-transferable to the creatures. For example, existential attributes like self-existence. Only God exists with no cause. Everything else exists with a cause. The ultimate cause of existence is God, the creator. Okay. And the power attributes in the absolute sense also only belongs to God. For example, omniscience, which means God is all-knowing. You see, we may know something, but only God knows all things. So these are power attributes in the absolute sense that belongs to God alone. Omniscience, uh, uh, omnipotence, which means almighty. We may have some power, but God is the only one who is all-powerful. Okay? Um, omnipresence. Okay? We may be present here and there, but only God is present everywhere. Okay? Even though maybe in different senses, that his glory is in heaven, his uh, mercy is on the earth, and his justice is in hell. Okay? Uh, and uh, the, the moral attributes in the perfect sense also belongs to God alone, like holiness. Human beings can be set apart by God to be called holy, like the Levites and the, and the, uh, the priests. But it doesn't mean they are actually holy. Right? They are just set as holy by God. 
Okay, we have been set apart by God. Once we're in Christ Jesus, our sins have been all paid before, now, and after. We have been set apart by God. We are called saints, even though we are not holy per se yet, but we will be after the resurrection or the rapture. Okay, some attributes of God are transferable. Transferable. Actually, the whole history is about transferring the moral attributes to the elect of humanity, so that the bride of Christ will be harmonious to Christ in nature. Okay, at the time of his second coming. Okay, transferable attributes exist, and actually, the moral attributes is intentionally transferred to us. Uh, now let's talk about the transcendence of God in the first group called solitariness. God alone has these existential attributes. The self-existence is the first one. That God exists perpetually for no reason whatsoever. He has no cause. He is the reason and ground and cause for all other beings. The, the eternal God is personal and triune, and God exists before and above time. That's what the self-existence means. Self-sufficiency. God does not need anything else for his existence. Sufficient sustenance and full pleasure. God is completely fulfilled and satisfied. I mean, I have a typo there. Satisfied, not sanctified. Okay, satisfied in the eternal love and fellowship in the Trinity. God does not need to create humans and angels in order to feel fulfilled. Creation is a sovereign decision of the Trinity. Was God lonely before creation? No, God is not Unitarian. God is Trinitarian. God is fully fulfilled and satisfied in the fellowship of the Trinity. He did not need us. We have no hold on God. Okay? God's creation is totally by his sovereign decision. He just decided so. Okay? And it is not because of need. Okay? It is because a natural development of God's love. Okay? So, God is self-sufficient. He didn't need us, and we have no hold on him. And God, therefore, God is also self has self-determination. God has sovereignty and perfect plan for time and history. He cannot be pushed by men to make decisions, even though he listens to prayers. Do we sometimes push God when we pray? God, I have done this. Please do this. Become demanding kids. What happened to demanding kids? Do they get the parents' pleasure? <laughs> no. <laughs> they sometimes get punished. You know. Uh, so we want, we would like kids to to ask us for things. We want to have a relationship, but we don't want demanding kids because they don't know what's good for them, right? So when they demand, they get punished. Actually, so when we pray, don't demand. Don't push God. Okay, God has self determination. Just obey and get God's pleasure. When God's pleased with you, He's willing to give you more than you deserve. Okay, that's the way for prayer, not pushing God. And God alone has these non-transferable attributes in the solitariness. Number one, eternity. We already said that in the beginning. God, the Trinity, exists before and above time. The revelation in time and history, especially in the incarnation of Christ, the Son, is only for building up the re relationship with the elect of humanity. God was, is, and will ever be. He is the great I Am. And God alone is a the spiritual being, the spirituality of God means that God is non-material. He cannot be represented by any creation. The closest resemblance to God is the spirit in the triune nature of humanity, the spirit, soul, and body, which came from the breath of God and is the elemental presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay. God, right before the flood, said that my spirit from now on, will stop contending with their flesh for more than 120 years. 
And guess what happened after the flood? The ideal age of humanity, it was stable a thousand years. It decreased in a few hundred years exponentially to 120 years, which is the age of Moses. <laughs> after that, it will only become 70, 80 years normally. Okay, And then without modern medicine, today it will be probably just 50 something. Okay, and uh, But with medicine... And with good habit, with probably good diet, we may look at restoring to 120, but no more than that. Okay? So, the having a physical life, in other words, having the spirit, soul, and the body together, is due to an elemental level of presence of the Holy Spirit. It is not the same as the indwelling, which is about the soul and the spirit, okay? But the, the, even the living flesh is due to an elemental level in presence of the Holy Spirit. So, God is a spirit, okay? And the closest understanding to God is through our spirit, which is the innermost level of your being. And then to have to worship God in spirit and soul it takes a time of moral purity after repentance and also quietness without the noise of the world and life. It does not come in the jumpy beat of modern music. It brings you close, closer to the flesh rather than the spirit. It's when you are alone in prayer after your repentance. And you are praying for others, not for yourself. And you are exalting God. And that's when you worship God in spirit. Okay. And the, the spirituality of God. The immutability of God. That means God is unchangeable. His attributes describe God's characteristics Eternally, he doesn't change. However, this does not exclude the stages in God's plan for humanity, like dispensations. Uh, God, his kingdom has four stages. It was fuzzy kingdom from creation to Abraham. It was not clear where is his kingdom, but he rules providentially. From Christ, Abraham to Christ is a time of a visible kingdom, all about Israel. From Christ's first coming to his second coming is about a spiritual kingdom. It's about the church. From his second coming to the final judgment is the millennium. So you have 2,000, 2,000, 2,000, 1,000, 7,000 years for all time. Okay? And then, uh, yes, there are stages in God's plan for humanity. That doesn't mean God changes. It simply means God's plan for mankind have reached to a new level. Okay. Um, and um, one thing on God's solitariness is God is triune. We have established this, that God is one God in three persons. It includes a diversity. The three persons each having his own mind, heart, and uh, will for reason, emotion, and volition. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are not one person in three modes. So we are against modalism. God is not one God in one person who appears in three modes. That's a heresy. Okay, uh, And uh, God also has unity. That the three persons have the same identical attributes for divinity, and they never separated. Even in the three days and nights, when the soul of Christ was in Hades, that was only a loss of father-son fellowship, not loss of relationship. Also, the Father and Holy Spirit was never separated. So, there is diversity and there's unity in the Godhead. It is, therefore, Trinitarianism is the best explanation for the existence of diversity and unity in this world. All philosophy began from the question in ancient Greece, how do we explain the universe being diverse and then uh, having unity? Okay? Philosophy came from seeking for an answer on the apparent contradiction between diversity and unity. And the best explanation for the fundamental question of philosophy is Trinitarianism in theology. 
If you believe in a triune God, that fundamental question for theology is easily answered. Why does the world have diversity and unity? Because God has diversity and unity. And God created a world which reflects some of his image. Therefore, so. And God has a simplicity in a sense that God cannot be separated from the oneness. God has a wholeness. That means there is no other being or person being God. Okay. Now, let's talk about infinity of God. Uh, the first category, omniscience. God alone has the omniscience, who, the, the knowledge of all things. First of all, the knowledge of God is because God knows all things because, um, well, God knows all things because God is the designer, creator, and ruler of the universe. Why does he know everything? Because he designed everything, because he um, make everything realize as his plan. That's why he knows everything. The same explains his foreknowledge. Foreknowledge is to know all things before their realization. And the reason is the same. Because he is the designer, uh, creator, and the ruler of the universe. Therefore, he knows what things will become. It's not a foresight uh, or foreseeing by uh, humans who do some divination, like the witches. Okay, and uh, uh, that is, you know, kind of cutting line and look, uh, seeking for a higher being and look for in, in the future. God does not just foresee the future. He determines the future. Okay, that's why he knows the future. Okay, and how about, let's say, um, to know, what does that mean? In Hebrew, the word to know, which is yada, uh, more than the, the Greek gnosis, the, the, the word yada in Hebrew, to know, means to have a close personal relationship. Just like as Adam knew Eve, they had a son. And that's personal knowledge. Okay, So God foreknew some people. That means God predetermined to have personal relationship with somebody. In other words, to foreknow is to elect. Okay, This is what God says in Romans 8, 29 to 30. For all those whom God foreknew, that means he elected, those whom he chose to have personal relationship. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined them to become like Christ at the end. So in the beginning, he decided to choose them, and he determined at the end that he will be like, they will be like Christ to become heirs of the kingdom of God. So these two, election and, uh, and predetermination, happened in eternity past, before the foundation of the world. And then for those whom he foreknew, he called. For those who called, he justified. Calling and justification happened in time to each person individually. And remember, justification is the result of calling. Calling is actually God sending the Holy Spirit to work on the lost people who had no free will on salvation, but God restores the free will so that is in the restored free will, a person enters the loving relationship with Christ. Saved people are wooed into a love relationship, not forced into it. Thus, even though we must believe in predetermination, we do not believe being kicked, screaming, taking into the family of God. We have been attracted by Christ's love, and we said yes to his proposal. The reason we can do that is because God worked on us through the fall process of calling, and that's called prevenient grace, okay, by John Wesley, okay, so yes, I'm Calvinist, I'm also Wesleyan, okay, that's a balanced, balanced will, balanced view on the sovereignty and free will issue, okay, sovereignty is primary, free will is also real, okay, there is a something called calling, before justification. And for those who are justified, they will be glorified in Romans 30, uh, 8.30. And uh, because once you believe in Jesus Christ, you're saved by faith, 
and faith alone, you're justified, you're considered righteous and a saint already. And no matter how much you have been sanctified, there will be differences. However, everybody will be 100% sanctified at the end because that's God's promise. It will be glorified. So it's the same group of people in the beginning to the end. Nobody jumps in, nobody drops out. Okay, same group of people from God's foreknowledge to predestination to calling to justification and to glorification. There will be different ways or uh, levels or amounts of glorification determined by the level of your sanctification. But that is determined by your cooperation with the Holy Spirit. It is not one of those five which are determined by God and God alone. Okay, We will deal more about this on soteriology. So the foreknowledge of God is the, because of God's determination of the future. The wisdom of God is more than knowledge. Wisdom is to use the knowledge and the foreknowledge to the best efficiency. And how about uh, omnipotence, that God is almighty. God has the power to do all things. Uh, this does not include anything that contradicts his nature. For example, he cannot create himself because that contradicts his eternity. He cannot do evil because that contradicts his perfection. Okay? And uh, he cannot force people into uh, believing in him because that contradicts his love. Okay? So God can do all things except things that contradict his nature. And therefore, th those dreamed up uh, conjured contradictions are by men, and they, they're all about something that God cannot do contradicting his, his nature. But that's already said. Okay, So there's no contradiction. God has the strength to endure the unbelief of men, the abuse and suffering of Christ, and the practical atheism of believers when they do not follow the Holy Spirit. For the, uh, But it was done for the greatest, uh, best intention, and then with uh, accordance to the perfect plan. So power is what God does to other things. Strength is what God does to himself. God endures the unbelief, the abuse, and the practical atheism, which all of us do at times. Okay, But his, in, his endearment is his strength, and that is for the best intention. And God has the authority over all authorities on the earth, which is man's, and in heaven, which is angels, and that's because he appointed them. Now, God alone has the omnipresence. He is present everywhere. God is present in heaven with his full glory and the full following of his will by all things there. God is present on earth with his love, compassion, mercy, and grace, as well as not yet fully implemented justice. However, God is present in hell, too, with his final and perfectly implemented justice, punishing evil in the perfect proportionality to the sin. God's presence is universal. That means everywhere, though in different senses. However, God is also close. In other words, imminent, because he is only one prayer away. He's not far. Okay. And uh, uh, talking about the transcendence of God in the group of dominion. God is the Lord of all things. God is the creator, sustainer, and the ruler of all things created. God has sovereignty over all authorities. He delegates authorities but requires accountability. Adam, the man, was the first king of the world. S Satan stole the title through deception. Jesus, the son of man, defeated Satan on the cross and will fully implement his rulership of the world as his its rightful king at his second coming. The church, his bride, purified in time, will rule with him. The restored Israel is among the things ruled directly by Christ and his bride. So, be careful. If you are the church, you are part of the bride. You will be the fellow ruler. Don't go back to become Israel, which will be the fellow ruled um, you know, beings. So God has perfect will to realize 
Uh, God tolerates disobedience in limited level and time, though He permitted uh, through His permitted uh, will. However, God has a perfect will to realize His perfect plan. Uh, the saved and sanctified believers seek to find and obey God's perfect will, uh, though often living in His permitted will. Remember, God has a perfect will, although. We seek for it. We don't always find it. So sometimes we live in the permitted will. That's not ideal. It's kind of real. We just have to. Once we found out, we repent and seek for the perfect one. Okay. And uh, God is holy in the sense of that being totally separated from the world, being pure and unadulterated by any impurity. He is being the perfect moral standard intentionally transferred to humanity and by which humanity is judged. God is absolutely, absolutely perfect in being truthful and honest. God is perfectly faithful to his word. These are all extensions of his holiness. And God is righteous. He's perfectly righteous. Being That means being right in all moral senses. He has a wrath against sin, which is a violation of a standard, and evil, which is... Um, causing suffering by sin. Okay. He will do justice, that is punishment of sin and evil, partially implemented through his institutions on the earth. That includes family, state, and church. But this is only in time. But he will perfectly implement justice in the eternal state with heaven and hell. So without heaven and hell, justice will never be complete. But with, it, with them, it will be. Okay. And God has a limited patience. You see, God is infinite, but his patience is finite. Some people have problem with this. But remember, his patience is finite only because of his timing in his plan for mankind. His predetermined time will be just this long. Israel will be this long. Church will be this long. So when they sin, to a certain extent, his patience run out. That's become the time is up. Okay. It's not because God is finite, it's because his plan for mankind has limitations. Okay. And about the perfection of God in the sense of goodness. God is good to all creation, especially to mankind. He has compassion to mankind when the carrier of his image suffers due to sin. He has mercy in forgiving sins, not giving what the sinners deserve. And he gives grace, giving sinners what they do not deserve. His love is agape in Greek. That means a love due to the decision of the will and by his nature. And it's combined with phileo in Greek, which means emotional attachment. However, it has nothing to do with eros, which means fleshly love. Okay. He, he delights in having pleasure in the obedient believers to like, which is storge in Greek. Uh, to like them beyond loving them. We, as believers of God, we should have known for sure that we are loved by God. Jesus Christ proved it on the cross. However, the love of God, receiving the love of God, does not mean being in the pleasure, being liked by God. I love all my children. I don't like them all the time. I like them when they obey and when they do excellently. Okay, So we should seek for God's Pleasure that he likes us more than he loves us. Okay, don't doubt his love, seek for his pleasure. Okay, and when he's pleased with you, he loves to bless you beyond your imagination. Okay? And God is relevant to us in the sense that, first of all, God is personal, he has three persons Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each having personhood like mankind. Why is God like man? Well, because he created man in his image. Okay, um, Usually we say, oh, I'm like my father. Well, I can say my father is like me in the sense that he created me in his image, right? I mean, we have some likeness, similarity to each other. Okay? And God reveals himself through scripture, nature, and history. These are means of revelation. Thus, God is knowable. Relevant, okay? And God shepherds humans because we are as dumb as sheep. Okay? And when he shepherds us, he's everywhere around us. Sometimes above, like being the Lord, the head, and the husband. Sometimes 
equal level as the counselor, advocate, and friend. Counselor is giving advice before we sin. Advocate is being our lawyer to defend us after we sin. And he has best defense because he says, I already paid for their debt. Okay? And the friend is what we have arrived after our repentance. And then we are being liked more than loved. Okay. All of these are seem to be equal level. And sometimes God appears below us as servant. When Christ died for believers' sins and Christ washed the feet of disciples. And uh, those are positions below us. And uh, that's the grace of God to do so because we, the dumb sheep, need the shepherd to be all around us. And he is all around and uh, all present. Finally, the need to balance the attributes of God. God is both one and three, right? There is one God. So to say there is one God, that will include atheism, who says there is no God. That will also exclude deism, which is basically saying there is a one God, but he's, uh, he doesn't relate. So he's not knowable. So... Uh, but that is contradicting to God revealed, revealing himself. Okay? So those are excluded by there is one God. But to say there is one God that excludes the polytheists who say there are many gods or the pantheists who say all oh, is God, we are included. Okay? God is both one and three. To say God is three, that means three persons. This will exclude the uh, Judaists. Remember, Today's Judaism is not biblical Judaism. Biblical Judaism is today's Christianity. Okay? Biblical Judaism is triune. It was made explicit in the New Testament. Okay? Today's Judaism is Unitarian. It's actually a cultic understanding of biblical Judaism. Okay? And uh, uh, Islam, another Unitarian major religion, is also a, a cultic religion. Uh, Islam, in a sense, is Judaism in um, uh, kind of another personality. Because Islam does to Christians what Jews want to do. Okay? Uh, Islam had been said by leaders of Judaism as a sweeper of Judaism against Christianity. Okay? So they are all Unitarian. They all know about God. They don't know God. Only Christians who believe God is triune know Jesus as God and therefore know God the Father. Okay? And Jehovah's Witness who believe God is one person alone and they are also excluded from true religion. Okay? And not to say Mormonism who believe that all men can become God and God was once a man and that's actually polytheism. They are excluded too. So to say God is both one and three, that will exclude a lot of other beliefs. And God is also both great and moral. Okay? This balance is very important. A lot of religions exalt God's greatness, like you know, Islam, who wants to praise God, saying Allahu Akbar, that means our God is greater. It exalts God's greatness, but not his morality. Okay? Uh, they allow you know, murder, they allow... Uh, um, Marrying many wives, they allow marrying girls as young as nine-year-olds. So those are not moral things. Okay, and uh, today's charismatism in evangelical Christianity also has the imbalance of exalting God's greatness, His power in being able to bless us, but it does not exalt to the same level of God's holiness and his expectation of us for repentance and righteousness. Okay? So we need to balance those things. And God is both just and loving. These two seem to be contradicting, but they have reached perfect balance on the cross. When the justice of God is realized in Christ's death, and the love of God is realized in his resurrection, and the blessing of all the believers in Christ Jesus to have peace with God, to make the Father of God the Father of us. Okay, That's the union, the perfect harmony between justice and love of God on the cross, and across alone. So let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us uh, this good time in studying about your attributes. We never have enough time to learning to learn about you. Thank you for giving us eternity to know more about you and uh, and to uh, relate to you more properly. We uh, pray that today's study will enhance our faith, and then we pray that. Um, our knowledge will not become pride, but uh, the source for obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Okay, if you all stand, we'll end with number 602 in your hymnals. God be with you till we meet again. God be with you till we meet again. By his counsels, God uphold you. With his sheep securely fold you. God be with you till we meet again. God be with you till we meet again. Leave his wings protecting hide you. Daily manna still provide you. God be with you till we meet again. Let's receive the blessing of the Lord. May the love of God, the mercy of Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit with you now till eternity. Teaching us to know more about you, teaching us to relate to you properly, to get your pleasure beyond your love. In Jesus' name, amen.